At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our series, Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, we're coming face-to-face with the division that seems to define the culture of our nation, our communities, and even our churches. Join us as we turn to 1 Corinthians to discover the unifying power of a people who follow Christ. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We've been in 1 Corinthians for a few weeks. We'll be there again today and and one more time next week, and then we'll move on from there. But uh, take out your electronic device or Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians. As you're turning there, has there ever been a time in your life where you have ever received information that changed your life? Or, or, or maybe you learned sometime in your life that there was something your whole life prior to that that you were doing it the wrong way. And then you learned something new, so it changed the way that you acted. Has anyone ever had that opportunity in their life? Okay. Well, it happened to me, and, it, and I'd like to share that with you today. I will give you a quick example of that. Did you know, as you have navigated the Michigan traffic, right, Michigan construction season is terrible. We're like in the midst of this terrible season. I can't wait for it to be over. But did you know that when you're traveling down the highway, let's say you're down, uh, traveling down I-75, and it goes from three lanes to two lanes, do you know how you're supposed to respond to that lane closure? Some of you know it already, and some of you don't. You see, when I was first driving, I always thought it was the most polite thing and correct thing that when I saw that the lane was closing two miles ahead, that it would be good for me to already get over as fast as possible so that I could be courteous to those that were around me. And then I thought that if everyone got over early, then we'd be fine, right? Because have you ever noticed that once you get past the part where it goes from three lanes to two lanes, traffic kind of the speed picks back up again? Well, why not just move that back two miles? Why not move that back four miles? Why not move that back eight miles? Right? So that's what I used to do. And then one time I was driving with a friend. and He's like, you know, you're doing this all wrong. I'm like, no, I'm not doing. This is the way we do it. This is how we drive in Michigan. No, he's like, no, you're supposed to zipper. I'm like, zipper, what are you talking about? Zipper. That, you mean the guys that like wait till the last minute to merge? The, those, those jerks that drive super fast in the, in the open lane? He's like, yeah, they're not jerks. They're doing it the right, you're doing it wrong. And so I'm like, no, 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 you are crazy. You're foolish. And so I, I went home and I'm like, I, so I search MDOT and I'm like, zipper merge, what's that? And guess what? That's actually a thing. The Michigan Department of Transportation urges Michigan drivers to zipper. And you're like, okay, you got to explain the zipper to me. Okay, this is how you zipper. And I, I pray you guys hear this this morning. I mean, I pray that you hear the gospel. I really pray you hear, but I also pray, I've become an evangelist for the zipper, okay? (laughs) This is how you zipper. When you see the sign that says lane closure two miles ahead, don't freak out and don't get to the right immediately. Maintain your present lane that you're in. If you're in the fast lane, and if some of you are in the fast lane, you should be driving fast too. That's another, that's, that's another sermon, another, another day. So you're, you're in the fast lane and you're, you're driving. Don't immediately get over. Instead, just maintain speed with the, with the flow of traffic, right? Don't block people. 
but maintain. And then as what happens as you get closer to that merge is that traffic opens up. It's amazing. This actually works. Traffic opens up. And if you wait, not to the very last minute, but wait till there's a space as you get closer, then you move into traffic. And guess what happens? If people, cars start doing this, guess what happens? We all get through the construction faster. I got an amen on the zipper. All right. Just, some of you, I know I just blew your minds. You're like, I can't, I can't even think anymore. I've got I to gotta, I gotta watch this on YouTube. You can. Don't do it now because that'll take away from everything else. But what's funny about this is that now that I have this knowledge, now that I have this new understanding, it hasn't actually helped me. It's only caused more frustration in my life, right? Because I try to zipper as much as possible, but I've got this new knowledge. And instead of, of helping me be courteous to others, it makes me angry at other drivers. Like, why aren't you zippering? You should zipper. And then the guy that like blocks me when I'm in the fast lane, oh, that gets to me. I have to repent and ask for forgiveness the whole rest of the way. So I'm telling you this sermon today, I'm preaching it to you, but it was spoken to me like deeply. So it causes frustration and it causes divisions because now I know that when I'm driving and I'm passing the 57,000 other cars because I know how to do it and they're doing it wrong, I know I'm making them mad. They're calling me a jerk and they're like, look at that guy who thinks he's more important than I'm like, no, 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 I'm not a jerk. I'm doing it right. You're doing it wrong. And it invokes this great emotion and doesn't cause, hasn't caused the peacefulness in life. So that's why I'm becoming an evangelist of this because I want to drive without having to repent. <laughs> but what's the truth of this is, is that in life, there are lots of things that you deem as wise and foolish. Right? We, we do this all the time. We, we, we try to discern between things that are wise and things that are foolish. And here's the thing about this. Whatever we think is right is always wise. And everything that contradicts what we think is wise is always foolish. Right? Do any of you believe anything that's foolish? No. Or, or are you always right? right? You're right and everyone else is foolish. And the same, same, same goes with the rest of life. And as we look at our text today, we're going to see that Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Corinthian believers that he's helping them discern between wisdom and foolishness, right? He wants them to understand that God calls us as believers to live in wisdom and not in folly. But the problem is, is that the way that their culture in Corinth was seeking wisdom and defining wisdom was in direct contrast to God's design and definition of wisdom. And so you had these believers that were, were struggling to discern between what was truth and what was error. And Paul wants to help give them this way of sensing to understand once and for all what is true wisdom and where does true wisdom come from and where does folly come from. So he's saying that there are a way in which believers have completely different lenses to look through to see life than unbelievers. And so today, as we continue our series, we've entitled Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World. We understand that we live in a world right now that is deeply divided. Right, you can't go anywhere without, I mean, if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time to anybody, you can immediately go from like peace to World War III. 
in your home, at your workplace, at the grocery store, driving in your car. It seems everywhere that the world is deeply divided. And the challenge that we face right now as a church community, as the body of believers, is that sometimes the division that we see showing up in the world is finding its way into the church. And we, as brothers and sisters, as the children of God, have got to fight hard towards unity. We've got to be aware of those things that are seeking to divide us, and then we've got to allow the spirit that lives inside of us to help us focus in on what we're supposed to and let go of the things that we shouldn't make primary. And so as Paul is writing this, he, he's, he wants us to understand that the church was designed by God to be unified, and if we allow the worldly wisdom to come in, we're going to find our fellowship quickly divided. And so last week we left on uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 17, where Paul was continuing his argument. And where we get to where he left off in verse 17 was this. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So what, what Paul is doing here, and we're going to explain this a little bit more, but as he's getting into verse 18, he ends in verse 17, and he's trying to set the stage for this division of wisdom. What Paul is saying is, he's, he's saying, I didn't come to try and overwhelm you or persuade you with eloquent words. I wasn't trying to come to you with wisdom of the world, but I came to you with one message. It was the message of the cross that the cross is the single primary point that's going to divide the world through wisdom or folly. Either to you, this is what he's, he's promoting, he's saying either the cross to you is your absolute source of wisdom or the cross is absolute folly. How you view the cross will determine which area of life that you are. And so Paul is saying wisdom... The wisdom of God centers on the cross. It doesn't come from eloquent wisdom. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at what is the wisdom of the cross. What is the wisdom of the cross? And, and I know, because I live in this world too, that you and I are completely under attack from a myriad of voices every single day, everywhere we go, everything and everyone is spouting wisdom into our lives. They're saying, if you want to be happy, do this. If you, if you want to be at peace, then do this. If you, if you want to um, find joy, then think this, be this, do this, go here. And it's all around us everywhere we go. So it is possible that some of us today may be confused. It may be possible that we're living lives that seem fractured and we live lives that are divided. So as we live in this world of a multitude of voices, my question, key question to you today is where do you go to find wisdom? Where are you going to find wisdom? I hope that's where we're going. Right? I, hope, I hope that the primary source of wisdom for us is God's word. And through our communication to God in prayer, I, I pray that we're deeply abiding in that. But I'm also afraid that there are, are times in which we allow other things to speak into that. So today what we're going to see as we look at God's word is that we're going to see that God's wisdom and power are in the message of Christ crucified. 
Wow, if we could just sit and meditate on that for a second. God's message or God's wisdom and power is found in the message of Christ crucified. So today, what we're going to see as we dive into this text, I want us to see two ways that we are to respond to the message of Christ crucified. First, we're going to see that we need to confess our wise foolishness of the world. See, there, there may be a, a sense in which this wise stuff from the world has infiltrated our mind and heart. And, and the best thing that we can do is confess our false wisdom. And we see this in the text. Let's, let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is what Paul says. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So right right off the bat, when Paul is talking here, he's saying there's a fundamental difference between the way believers view the cross or the way the believers view the message of the gospel and the way that unbelievers view view the gospel or the message of the cross. What, What Paul is saying is he's pointing out is that the cross itself, there's nothing that any human wisdom can add to it. That we can't take the cross in any way and dress it up We can't take the cross anyway and really water it down. We can't take the cross and make it more palatable for people. The cross stands alone, resolutely, and completely in complete opposition to human wisdom. In fact, the cross is considered completely and absolutely irrational when viewed through the lens of human wisdom. Think about that. The cross is irrational for the worldly, wisdom-filled mind. But for the believer, the one that has come to see what God has done on our behalf through the cross, the cross is the most meaningful, beautiful thing of all time. But as we, before we get into that, I, I do want to get into that. But I want us to understand Wisdom for a second. I want to define it for us so we can bring clarity to it. Generally speaking, when when I think of wisdom, I think that wisdom is knowledge applied. Okay, it's, it's applying knowledge. You, you have some set of understanding of, of something that is true or you have some new information and then you want to be wise with it, you want to apply it. For example, I know that fire is hot. Right? I know in my mind that fire is hot and that if I were to touch fire, I would get burned. Right? So applied wisdom is not touching fire. But if I am foolish, then I'm not going to apply that truth. And if I go right now and I were to get a candle and take it and touch the, the, the fire on it, I would get burned, which would be foolish. Right? Because that's not applying the knowledge that I have. So in this passage, what we see is that there's two kinds of wisdoms that are at odds with each other. There's worldly wisdom, and then there's godly wisdom. See, but here's the difference about worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom seeks to apply principles that may or may not be founded in truth. 
Okay, that's the big difference. That's the big clarifier, right? Wisdom, worldly wisdom seeks to apply principles that may or may not be founded in the truth. Let me give you an example just so you can, and this is an extremely absurd example, but sometimes the absurdity of the example helps prove the point, okay? So let's say I, I grow up or my kids grow up and I teach them that there are monsters under their bed. Every night, hey, you know there are monsters under your bed. You better be careful. Don't get out of bed because monsters are in your bed. If you happen to step down off your bed in the middle of the night, those monsters are going to grab your ankles and they're going to pull you to hell. (laughs) Again, absurdity of the example, right? And I teach them that over and over and over again. Now, you and I both know that 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 teaching is not found in truth, but what's going to happen is that I'm applying that and to my kids and I want them to be wise. And so what are they going to do? Number one, they're going to be afraid of monsters, right? And number two, they're never going to get out of their bed in the middle of the night, which is good in some cases. <laughs> but you and I both know that for a child to grow up to be an adult that's afraid of monsters, that's absolutely foolish, right? It's foolish. There's no such thing as monsters, I, maybe you had a bad parent and they told you there, were, there are no such thing as monsters, okay? So you can see that there's some kind of understanding or knowledge when applied becomes wisdom. And worldly wisdom is not always found in truth. So it's possible that people in the world are running around doing a bunch of things, trying to apply wisdom from knowledge that's not found in truth. Let me give you an example of godly wisdom. You see, godly wisdom seeks to understand the truth that God has set and in the power of the Holy Spirit seeks to apply it in their lives. For example, my children come to me in the middle of the night and they're afraid of a storm. The winds are howling and thundering and lightning and all that stuff. So they come to me and they're afraid, which is a real human emotion. And in that opportunity, they have the opportunity to take them to God's word. And I can share with them the story about how the disciples were out on the sea and and Jesus appeared and he calmed the storm in front of them. And one of the disciples responded after that in amazement that even the winds and the waves obey Jesus. And then I can share with them about how Jesus promises to be with us. And yeah, the world's gonna be hard, but God promises that we are in his hand. And that brings a sense of peace. It brings a sense of understanding. You see the the way that that's different, right? One is seeking to to bring peace in the kid's life, right? By having them stay in bed, which is a good thing. We don't want our kids wandering through the house in the middle of the night because all kinds of bad things can happen. But we do it in a wrong way. But we also want our kids to find peace in the middle of a storm. We want them to understand that God is ultimately in control of all things, that he is sovereign over all things. And if we're speaking those words of wisdom into our kids' lives, then peace comes with it. And so this is what Paul is setting up. He's setting here about two kinds of wisdom. He's saying there's there's a kind of wisdom that comes from the world that will not bring peace. But then there's a kind of wisdom from God that always brings peace. And in the culture of the Corinthians, worldly wisdom ruled the day. They were most concerned and most given their hearts and their dispositions over to gaining intellectual knowledge. That was the biggest thing. They wanted to know all that they could. And what would happen is that they, the person that was the smartest or had more knowledge was the one that was higher in society. 
So if you were wise and you had deep understanding, if you could add a whole bunch of letters to the end of your name with a bunch of degrees, then you were highly valued. But if you didn't have knowledge, you didn't have worldly understanding, then you were low on the totem pole. You were a social outcast. And so wisdom was an instrument for self-advancement. And so what Paul is saying here is he's giving this big dividing point between wisdom and folly. He's saying true wisdom is never found in the world. Only you're only going to find folly. And so he sets forth these two groups. He says those, he says there are two groups in the world. There are those that are perishing. There are those that are outside of the bounds of God's grace those that have not yet come to the foot of the cross and understanding it and seeing it as something as the most beautiful gift of all time. He's saying those are the perishing. But then he says that there are those that are being saved. Those that have come to consider the cross. Those that have seen God's power and his love and his grace and his mercy and his move towards reconciliation, reconciling us, a, a, a holy God and a sinful man, seeking to bring us all together. And it's when you come to see the cross through, through the right lens that you understand the beauty of it. And he says, that is wisdom. Everything else is folly. I love what Paul also says in Corinthians or Romans chapter one. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of its message, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also for the Greek. So it is this cross, this message of the gospel that changes everything. And then Paul goes on and quotes Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14, where back even in the day that God exposes the fact that worldly wisdom has an end. Worldly wisdom does not bring about the life that we desire, that worldly wisdom will always seek to go away and that there is a true wisdom that is going to come. And so then in verse 20, Paul goes on and he gives some rhetorical questions, right? He's, he's asking, where, where are those that are wise? Or is the debater of this age wise? Has not God made the foolish of this age and of this world seeking to bring them low? And so even those in the world that pro proclaim to be wise, to proclaim to have the answers, to proclaim to have the way of life that you should go, Paul is saying, and the word of God is saying, that they do not bring about the life that God truly desires from us. You see, worldly wisdom does not find God. Worldly wisdom does not have God at the end of its pursuit. Worldly wisdom seeks to make you or me become our own God. It, it, worldly wisdom seeks to allow us to sit on the throne to be the one that decides what is true, what is false, what is right, what is wrong. That's what worldly wisdom wants you to do. Worldly wisdom is actually a move away from, in, from dependence on God to independence from God. Worldly wisdom wants to promote autonomy from God, saying you can live in such a way that if you just get smarter, if you just have more understanding, then your knowledge can cure the curse of the human heart. That if you can just know more, if you have more statistics, or if you have more understanding, then we can fix all the problems of humanity. And that you don't need God. 
Because if you're more wise, if you have more understanding, then you can be more rich. And if you have more rich, then you're supposed to work yourself in such a way that you don't need God. The purpose of life is not your own happiness. The purpose of your life is not to do whatever feels good for you because that's always, always, always gonna lead you to a place of destruction. It's not gonna lead you to God, but lead you further away. And here's the beauty of the cross. The beauty of the the cross doesn't say, come to the cross and make much of yourself. The message of the cross says, come to the cross and die. Surrender all that you are. Surrender all that you have to at the foot of Jesus. That's the message of the cross. Anyone in our world today claiming to be wise and claiming to say that they don't need God, that all I need is science, all I need are statistics, all I need are politics. If we just get all of that right, then we will be right. Anyone claiming to find wisdom there is a fool. You know, just like the Corinthian believers, we can get caught up in the so-called wisdom of our day when we allow the wisdom of the world to override the wisdom of Jesus, that's when we get into trouble. So again, I'll ask you, where are you going to find wisdom in your life? Where are you seeking to find understanding, to find peace in the midst of our troubled times? One of the greatest ways that you can tell where you're going to find wisdom is look at your words. Look at what you say when people come to you at work. What, what are you speaking? Are you, are you spouting off statistics? Are you regurgitating things that you hear from social media, from the news, from the, whatever you're reading? Or are people hearing the words of God coming from your mouth? Right? We, we speak from what we have digested. Right? If, we, if we hear hate and we digest hate, then all we're going to do is speak hate. But if we're digesting the word of God and we're coming to the word of God and we're spending time deeply abiding in him, then what's going to come out of our mouths is not cursing, but it's going to come blessing. And so just look at your words. You can even ask your, if you're married, ask your spouse, hey, what, what are my words speaking? Ask your coworker. Like, from my words, what, what do you think that I believe in? What do you think that I'm for? That'll be a real indicator of where you're garnering your wisdom from. Paul is very quick, quick to help the Corinthian believers understand that there are those in their culture that are seeking just to become wise intellectually, but they're missing the boat, that you're never, ever, ever going to find God at the end of your knowledge and understanding. But come to God and find true hope so he says in in essence that we are to confess our foolishness or confess our wise foolishness of the world where we have allowed the foolishness of the world to come in and to take part of our hearts and take part of our lives we are to confess that and then secondly he says that we are to profess the foolish wisdom of the cross profess the foolish wisdoms of the cross look at me in verse 21 He says, for since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. He says, for the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block 
to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is no accident that the world cannot know God through human wisdom. We see that God has sovereignly rendered wisdom of the world to be foolish. Rather, God's wisdom is found in what he has done. I love how Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, or Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He says, there's no one righteous, no, not one. No one understands. Knowledge and understanding of God is not something that begins within us. It doesn't start there. Wisdom comes because God has done something on our behalf that we did not deserve. It's God initiated, it's God declared, it's God done, and it's, it is through God and his power that we can know God. So there's nothing that the world can offer. We preach Christ crucified. That's it. You say, well, okay, you're talking about the cross. What is the message of the cross? Let me clearly explain to you the message of the cross, why the cross is so important. Here it is. God is the creator of all things, is absolutely holy. God is completely sinless. God has created all things, and therefore he gets the right to set all the rules. He gets to determine what's right, what's wrong, what's good, and what's bad, what is his design, and what is outside of his design. And he has clearly told us that any time that we step outside of God's design, that that's called sin. And sin, because God is a holy God, sin has to be punished. Sin has to be punished. And because you and I are sinners... You and I have rejected God. We've told God, I don't want you to be the boss of my life. I don't want you to tell me what to do, how to live, what to think, what to wear, how to, how to walk. I don't want you to, to have that voice into my life. And so I'm rejecting you. And when we reject God, it's called sin and sin must be punished. So according to God's design, we pay for our punishment, not only living in this wrecked world now, but there's consequences to our punishment that happen in eternity. We go to a place called hell where the eternal wrath of God is poured out on us over and over and over and over again for all eternity. We pay for our sins by going to hell, where there is a Christless eternity of punishment and torture and pain. But the story doesn't end there because that is without the cross. That's what the world has to offer. That's what the world is moving towards. That's the direction you and I were headed to until the cross enters in. And this is how the cross makes a difference. You see, God's love for you and for me was so great that he didn't want to leave us in our sinless state. That what he did is he gave of himself through the son, Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man. Jesus came and lived on this earth, took on humanity while also maintaining his divinity, took all of that on and lived a perfect life. Never sinned, never lied, never had a bad thought, always was in obedience to the father. But he came also to show us that he is the only one that could live a perfect life. But he came with the purpose of being that sacrificing, that sacrificial life for our sin. You see, Jesus was the only sinless person ever. And Jesus, the Bible tells us that he went to a cross, on the cross, this, this instrument of torture, this instrument of death, this, this picture of, of something that was not highly exalted, 
but to be on a cross was to be cursed according to the world. But God allowed his son and Jesus freely went to the cross so that his life could be given for ours. The Bible tells us that on the cross, all of the sin of the world was placed on him and Jesus endured the wrath of God. He took it all. He took the punishment for your sin and for my sin and then Jesus died. Jesus went to a grave and God considered Jesus' sacrifice as enough and he raised Jesus from the dead and now Jesus is alive. Jesus has put to death death. He has paid the penalty of sin and anyone who believes in him, anyone who comes to see and consider Jesus and to give him their lives, confess their sins to him and believe in Jesus as their savior and Lord now has eternal life, has their sins forgiven and the cross becomes the most beautiful thing in the world to them. This is what we preach. This is what we believe. This is what the Bible says makes all the difference. It's the cross of Christ. And here's the crazy things about human division or, or what we feel this. We sense we all know, the Bible tells us so, we all know that there is a God. Everyone does. doesn't matter if you're an atheist. doesn't matter where you were ever born. You know that there's a God, and you know that you are accountable to him. And so what the world has sought to do is to take this gulf between a holy man and a sinful God, and they've tried to close the gap through human efforts. And this is what Paul's going to get to right here. He's saying, he first talks about the Jews. He says the, these Jews have, 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 those that are part of the perishing group, he says these Jews have been trying to come to God through religious activity. Right? If I can just be better, if I can just do more, if I can just be more like God, then God will accept me. But then the, the, the Greeks that were here says that, that, that the way that we know God and the way we breach this gulf is by having more knowledge. The more knowledge I have, the more I will be like God and then I'll be right with God. And so this is what Paul is getting ready to attack. He says, the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. See, the Jews desperately in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, desperately wanted the God of the Old Testament to show up in the same way, right? Through miraculous signs. They didn't, they didn't want the Messiah. They didn't want the person of Christ. What they wanted was the signs showing that God was there. So as God parted the sea in the Old Testament and as God fed the, the, the people with manna and quail and all of this, they wanted, they're like, they're like, Jesus, just show us a sign and then we'll believe. And Jesus is like, you've got me. I'm the greatest sign of all time. I'm God incarnate and you cannot even see me. You're missing it completely. And so they missed it because they wanted to know as they did Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Just tell us what to do. Tell us how to be more religious, and we will. That's all they were looking for. That's worldly wisdom. And then the Greeks, they wanted to seek wisdom. They were passionate about every kind of learning. They saw learning as the highest value. And if we could just know more, if we could just understand more, then we'll be made right. And we see that these two are the basics, these two basic idolatries are the things that separate worldly wisdom from godly wisdom. See, everyone knows that there's a God. Everyone wants to be made right with God. But how we get there are two different approaches. One gets us there and one does not. 
The cross stands as the ultimate point of surrender and salvation. It is not foolish to those that still consider. I, I, I understand how the cross can be foolish. I, I understand it. Because in the cross is the story of where the hero dies for the villain. Like that's not how, that doesn't work. We don't make movies like that, right? The hero, the hero takes the villain and defeats the villain. But here we see in the story of the cross, Jesus dies, gives himself up for the villain, those that have done wrong so that they may be saved. So my, my plea to you today, if you haven't come to the cross, it's come to the cross. Know that you don't have to fix yourself up, but you just have to come fully surrendered saying, I can't fix myself. I am in desperate need of salvation. I'm in desperate need of help. Lord, save me. But for those of us that are believers, we may suffer from a different challenge. Right? We've, we've, we believe the gospel at a time. If you're a believer, you believe the gospel at a time and you surrendered fully to him and he has fully come into you. But it may be that your challenge, just like the Corinthian believers, is that you now want Jesus and knowledge. Right? You've added something to the equation. At the moment of salvation, you said all I need is Jesus. And now you've come to the place of where you're like, okay, I want Jesus and this. And we have continued to seek knowledge. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about that may show up in your own heart. When I went to seminary, one of the things that they taught us in seminary is that you've got to be able to take arguments and critique them. Like you've, you've got to be able to read something and, and be able to discern between truth and error, which is a good thing. Right? Those are all good. You should be able to do that. You should be able to, as you're watching the news, sit there and think critically. Like, okay, they're saying this, but what do they mean? When you read a story or you read this, you should, you should be thinking critically. We should always be constantly sifting between what's truth and what's error, what's truth and what's error, what's truth and what's error. Right? That's what they were trying to train us while in seminary. And they did a great job of it. I could go through and I could read an article and I could, I could see the truth and error. But what happened in my life is through this process of being able to critique things, I was becoming more knowledgeable and more understanding. And instead of allowing it to say, okay, this is truth and this is error, I need to do this, it caused me to become critical. There's a difference. It caused me to be able, because I was becoming smarter and gaining more knowledge, to not just discern between truth and error, but it started to cause me to pit myself against other people as though I was greater than them. So I would eat, and this is how bad it got. I could even come to a, a church service on Sunday morning. I wasn't worshiping God. and said the whole time I was critiquing everything. Man, that greeter didn't greet me long enough. They didn't shake my hand. Long, their palms were sweaty. The bulletin, did you see the bulletin this week? Did you happen to, there was a misspelled word in the bulletin. Can you believe this? What kind of church is this coming to? Did you hear the, the pianist? They missed that note. And that preacher, oh man, he, he spoke two minutes too long. I wouldn't have illustrated it that way. I would have said it this way. I would have done that. Can you believe that person singing off key over there? Can you believe that baby is crying? And it wasn't until I was spending time with the Lord one day and he just spoke silently to my heart. And he says, Jeff, I want you to be able to, to discern between truth and error, but I don't want you to become critical. 
Like I've given, I want you to be able to see this, not so that you set yourself apart from it, so that if, if you're in it and with my power and my love, you can be an agent of change. That's why I've given you these eyes to see these things. So not that you, you look down on other people, but so that you see the problems and you say, okay, Lord, help me to be a part of the solution. See, that's a massive difference. That's a big change. And so maybe, maybe today, in your own life and in your own way, you've allowed knowledge to come in and it's caused you to become critical of people, of things. And instead of having eyes to see, you have eyes to divide. So today, my prayer is that as we look at the word of God today, that we would respond in absolute surrender. The only message that matters is the message of the cross. And today, if the cross is not the most beautiful thing to you in your life, then I pray that you would beg God, God, help me to see the beauty of the cross. And if you're here today and you have already seen the beauty of the cross, then thank God again. Like, like lay your life down again and remember that it's not what you know, but it's in whom you know. Whom you know changes everything. And if you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling at work, you're struggling to get along with other people, come back to the word. Come back to abiding in Jesus and there you will find wisdom and understanding so that you'll know how to live. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you for your words of truth. We thank you for your words of life. And Father, we do confess that it is so easy to be distracted and to think what the world offers is true wisdom. Father, remind us today that wisdom is found in believing in Jesus. That's the beginning point of knowing that we can't save ourselves, that we can't do anything to be made right with God, made right with you. The only thing we can do is come and die. Die to ourselves, die to our desires, and believe in Jesus. Father, I pray today that your spirit would continue to move in this place and you would move us to respond to your word today, however, if it means that you want us to come to the altar here and just kneel before you and pray, God, I pray that we would do that. Maybe there's some confession that needs to take place in our lives. Or maybe we're here today and we just need someone to pray with. Father, I pray that others would move over to our prayer portion of our worship center and be prayed for. But Father, help us to respond. If there is salvation that we need, if there is faith in Christ that needs to happen, Father, I pray that you would move us to do that as well. But help us to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.